please turn with me to page 1095. I'll be reading from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. That's page 1095. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other men from the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from Mark chapter 1 starting at verse 14 and is on page 1002 in the Pew Bibles. So Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, and the hired men, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. We who rejoice to know thee, renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. Amen. Would you turn in your Bibles to page 1002? And as you do that, uh, I'm reminded that just to tell you that next Sunday... Bishop Grant Lamarckand, who is uh, Bishop in Ethiopia, Rosemary Burke's Bishop, 
will be coming uh, to preach at both our services. So we want to give him a very, very warm welcome. As you know, Gambella, where Rosemary is, has had some um, unrest and difficulties. So we need to pray for Bishop Grant as he comes to be with us. It is, of course, a time of celebrating the Queen's birthday, so we'll be acknowledging that as well uh, with a special anthem and prayers uh, for that day. Have you ever longed for something to happen, something so wonderful and amazing you could hardly wait for it, something that had been on your mind for, for weeks, months, even years? I was thinking about this, and I think, you know, when you're a child, you think, when is school going to end? When are the holidays going to come? And for some reason, school seems forever and holidays far too short. Perhaps you look forward to a wedding in the family or a special baptism. We had a family event yesterday. Something you really long for. Think back to a time like that. If you can remember how you felt then, that will give you just an inkling of what it was like to be in Galilee when Jesus arrived and said those dramatic words which we read in verse 15 of Mark chapter 1. The time has come, the kingdom of God is near, has come near, repent and believe the good news. The event was one longed for and looked for since Old Testament times, namely when God the Messiah, the anointed one, would reign on earth. But when it did happen, the event was very different from what was expected. Not a political triumph by an all-conquering earthly figure, but God himself coming in the flesh to rule over the individual hearts of men and women. You catch something of that expectancy in the story of Simeon. Now, we normally only hear about Simeon at Christmas services. In Luke chapter 2, we read how Mary and Joseph brought the six-week-old baby Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to dedicate him to God. We're then told that Simeon, a devout and good man, had been expecting the Messiah to come soon. And the Holy Spirit had impelled Simeon to go to the temple that very day. And when he saw the infant Jesus, he immediately took him in his arms and said, Lord, now I can die content. For I have seen him as you promised me I would. I have seen the Savior you have given to the world. Do you catch the excitement in his voice? Something longed for, looked for, waited for, has arrived in this baby brought to the temple. And no doubt as Jesus walked around Galilee, as we read in Mark chapter 1, similar excitement followed him. So this is my first point. What was the message he brought? It was good news. Oh boy, do we need good news. In an article in September 2007, American preacher John Piper put it this way. The gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over all his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. And Piper goes on to make two points. You can't outgrow the gospel. You never, never outgrow your need for it. Don't ever think of the gospel 
as that's the way you get saved and then you get strong by leaving it and doing something else. You know, you sort of grow up. No, we're strengthened by God through the gospel every day till the day we drop, says Piper. You never outgrow the need to preach to yourself the gospel. And then he says the gospel, second, is perfect for your needs, perfectly timed, perfectly applied, perfectly suited to my need. That's why the Bible is so thick, because there are so many different needs you have. Piper's right. The gospel is indeed perfect, perfect for you and me, perfect for every need, perfect for every nationality. We are made up in our congregation of 30 different nationalities. Now, there are two aspects to experiencing the good news for ourselves. Look at chapter 1, verse 15 again. Uh, Tim has alluded to it. Repent and believe the good news. Now we need to repent. What an old-fashioned word, but my goodness me, how modern in application. It simply means turning our back on all we know to be wrong. We have a, a change of thinking, and as a result of a change of thinking, we have a different way of living. Now, that can be hard, hard to do. It doesn't come easily to us rebellious human beings. We like to run our lives. And in the words of that Frank Sinatra song, to do it my way. The fact is, if we're entering the kingdom of God, we have to submit to the rule of the king of kings and take ourselves off the throne of our lives and make sure he is there. And this necessity of repentance was central to the preaching of John the Baptist. Look back to chapter 1, verse 4. It was central, as we see here in verse 15, to the preaching of Jesus. And it was also central from the birth of the early church. At Pentecost, Peter explained the coming of the Holy Spirit by focusing on Jesus' divine authority, identity, and he concluded his speech with these words in verse 36, chapter 2. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's telling them, isn't it? And we read, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so you see, repentance is essential if we're to experience the good news. It always has been, it always will be. And secondly, we need to believe, not just an intellectual assent, but intentionally say to God, I am prepared to turn my back on all I know to be wrong. I do believe Jesus is the Savior of the world, and I am prepared to accept what he says about me and my need of a Savior. Now, it just so happens that Christopher and I were at the same school. And I remember the very first time I heard the gospel as a 17-year-old in the school chapel. You have to bear in mind this is a huge building with 800 boys looking across the aisle at each other. 
early in the morning. And the preacher looked a very ordinary, sort of Father Brown, bumbling sort of figure. He also was an old Morbirian, so I guess he knew what he was facing. He wasn't a striking figure at all. And I was probably thinking to myself, another dull, boring sermon. I hope you're not thinking that now. As he spoke, it suddenly hit me. I had never heard this before. This was extraordinary. Why hadn't I heard this before? He explained the good news in a totally straightforward way so that I knew, whatever else I knew, that what he was saying was very important. I couldn't quite work it out because I'd never heard it before. You see, that is what happens when you hear the gospel for the first time. Paul Calliot, Burning Man, described being in the army, never having heard the gospel, never having met a clergyman, never having met any Christian, and then one Christian told him, and his life has been transformed. You see, it's good news. Why do we keep good news to ourselves? And that is the unchanging message, the message that is very good news for all generations and for all times. It doesn't get out of date. Do you ever see those packages of food and you think, oh, that's wonderful, and then you look, oh, bother, it's out of date. This isn't out of date. So I ask you, are you experiencing the power of the good news in your life today? What about the messengers? That's the message. What about the messengers? Have a look at verse 16 of chapter 1. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And when he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hard men and followed him. The first messengers had some very striking characteristics. The first thing is that they were very ordinary people going about their ordinary work. When Jesus called them, in case, in this case, as we see, they were fishermen. Now, they weren't sort of Sunday fishermen. They were professional fishermen. They earned their living by fishing. And we'll see two of them, Peter and John, later when they were described as unschooled, ordinary men. The Old Testament prophet Amos was minding his own business when God's call came to him. He had no family links with prophets. He didn't have family who were vicars or anything. And he tells us in Amos 7 that he was a shepherd who also happened to take care of sycamore fig trees. Now, I don't know what it means to look after sycamore fig trees, but he didn't go to theological college. Because, you see, God will choose who he chooses as his servants. And he often, well, I would say, always chooses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Because if you're an ordinary person, all you do is say, isn't God amazing? Whereas if you think you're a star or a celebrity, you're always saying, aren't I amazing? And they obeyed Jesus' call. In fact, they seem to have obeyed immediately. Simon and Andrew at once left their nets, verse 18. And Jesus called James and John, verse 20, without delay. And it seems they left their father straight away. 
Jesus didn't say to them, as William Barclay amusingly writes, follow me, I have a theological system which I would like you to investigate, or I have certain theories that I would like you to think over, or I have an ethical system I would like to discuss with you. No, he said, follow me. And the fact that they did tells us something about their personal reaction to him. They followed Jesus because of who he was. He had an authority and personal attractiveness which drew them on. And later, something else would draw men and women to him, the cross. And Jesus looked ahead to that moment when he said, I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. On the cross, Jesus took your sins and mine on himself. He paid the penalty for our sin. He died the death you and I deserve to die. And when we truly realize what he has done for us, following him is all we want to do. And here's the third thing about the messengers. They were prepared for the call to be costly. After the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, we read in Acts 3 how Simon, now called Peter, and John healed a man crippled from birth. And some 5,000 men believed as a result of Peter's sermon following the incident. That was, must have been quite a sermon. But all this popularity greatly troubled the religious leaders. So Peter and John were hauled up before the Sanhedrin, which is the supreme religious court, and they unashamedly gave all the credit for the healing to Jesus and listened to their bold words. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else. Now, the very highly educated judges of the Sanhedrin identified something that truly astonished them. They recognized their courage, and bear in mind this was a supreme court. It was a terrifying experience. They had, after all, the power of life and death. And they realized, as I said earlier, that they were unschooled, ordinary men. But we're told those religious leaders also took note that Peter and John had been with Jesus. It's not enough to have an academic, intellectual understanding of the good news. There must be a relationship with Jesus, who is, of course, at the heart of that good news, if the messenger is to be an effective communicator of the message. Peter and John were acutely aware that they were living each moment in God's presence. And so when the Sanhedrin told them not to speak or teach anymore in the name of Jesus, they replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. That relationship with Jesus, that consciousness of being in his presence in God's sight, moment by moment, was what made them so powerful against such opposition. They were prepared for the call to be costly. So I say, have you heard the call of Jesus on your life? Are you aware that as you walk with him, you have a particular task, 
and that is to testify about him at every opportunity. It doesn't mean necessarily a soapbox in Hyde Park Corner. It simply means speaking of what you know you've seen and heard. A witness simply speaks of what they know. No one's asking you to speak of what you don't know, but to speak of what you do know. And, of course, each of us are called to different front lines. It may be in the office, as a mother at the school PTA, in the sports club you've joined with the neighbors you live next to. But for all of us, the message is the same. The gospel, the good news, has never changed down the centuries, and we're not to water it down, however unpopular it might be. Peter and John refused to compromise with their culture we should refuse to compromise with ours. There is a cost to being a follower of Jesus. There always has been. There is now, for many people, a very, very serious cost. Knowing what a challenge it can be, can you get together with one or two other Christians in your firm to support each other in prayer, share your challenges in a home group, or those you know at Burning Man or the Breakfast Club. For every single Christian is called to be God's messenger or ambassador, as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5. And to do that effectively, we need to be personally thrilled again with the good news. However many years ago it was that we heard it. Or maybe you have never heard it. And I hope you're thrilled because it's the best news in the world. If you feel it is all too familiar, ask God today to excite you once more with the life-changing truth of what Jesus has done for you. Then be ready as his messenger prepared to pay the cost, knowing that you speak in the name of the King of Kings and refuse to be ashamed of him. And here's my third point. There is a call reserved for a few, and that is the call to full-time ordained ministry. The projections are currently in the Church of England that by 2030, I checked this, by 2030, some 70% of current Anglican clergy will have retired. 70% by 2030, that's by my calculation 14 years, will have retired. I cannot possibly see how St. Michael's will have two clergy, let alone three, and may be lucky to have one. Of course, it's a very concerning statistic. Over the years, numbers of people have been called from St. Michael's to do that, just that. Many in my time were lay assistants who are now leading churches. And it's always important that we provide opportunities for testing such a call. That's one of the reasons why we have ministry trainees like James and Sam, and what a great job they do. Maybe God is calling you today. You may be doing some other job, but increasingly you've sensed this inner voice. In my case, very reluctantly. Don't ignore it. Have a word with me or Tim or John. Ask Christian friends or family what they think and pray. Yes, it's the church ultimately which recognizes whether God is calling you or not. 
It will be a costly call. It may mean, as it did for Tricia, my wife and myself, going far away from families and friends. And that was only in this country. Many others have been called overseas. But God is no one's debtor. And nothing is more thrilling than to be in such a ministry. There's no greater privilege than to see men, women, and children putting their faith and trust in Jesus and growing as his disciples in that faith. It's a huge privilege. If God is calling you, don't hold back. Act on that call today. So today, we've been considering the message, which never changes and is good news, and we've been considering the messengers, all Christians, and some in particular roles. The call on all Christians, the call for a few. And so I say to you this morning, because God is the living God who speaks, what has he been saying to you? What does he want you to do as a result of hearing his word today? Because his word is timeless, it's living, and it's active May I gently suggest you take the opportunity to pray with a friend about all of this, or the prayer ministry team will be there after the morning service. Pray for the future ministry of the church, that it would be gospel-centered, equipped to pass on to the next generation the thrilling good news of Jesus. Because there is a famine In our country, it's a famine of the word of God and of the gospel. What part will you play in being a messenger? Let's pray. A moment of quiet as we listen to that still small voice that God speaks individually and personally. Maybe something's come to your mind even as we've considered this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wholehearted response of the early disciples who followed Jesus and who were later accused of turning the world upside down. And that, of course, included the mighty Roman Empire. We pray for all of us who are followers of Jesus that we may, in our turn, be faithful messengers of the good news of Jesus, the invitation to repent and believe the gospel. We pray too for the ministry of this church and of the worldwide church, that you would raise up men and women wholly committed to sharing that good news. And so help us to act. Wherever you've placed us, whatever our front line is, Whatever you have for us, may we be attentive to the call, your call on our lives. For we pray it that the honor may all go to him who died and rose and lives today, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.